BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey guys, it's Lindsay, and I wanted to say that before we dive into this amazing episode with Jared from Touchpoint, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit more about this amazing workout program I've been mentioning. It's called Beach Body, and I've been doing it for six weeks and I've already seen results. You know the summer is coming up, so don't fuck around. Text ACME to 303030, and you have a free trial already. You're already on your way to having the sexiest body on the beach. Isn't that what we all want? Um, Hey, guys. Welcome back to We Met at Acme. Thank you for listening. Um, We are here with Jared Matthew Weiss, the founder of Touchpoint. Hey, Jared. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and hang with you in this living room. Yeah. Very lovely. Here we go. Thank you. So let's introduce you a little bit. Where are you from? Where am I from? I mean, I've lived in New York for 14 years, so I feel like I'm not from here. But I mm-hmm. spent my my childhood in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, that's where I'm flying into in a few hours. Oh my God, <laughs> you're going to have the best time. Yeah. It's beautiful. If you're into strip malls and everybody's grandparents, then <laughs> you know gonna, I am. you're going to have the I best love, time. I love waiting an extra 30 minutes for them to load the plane for yeah, everyone in the totally. wheelchair. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing place. <laughs> it, yeah. It's epic. And how old are you? How old am I? I'm 36 years old. Okay, and what is your current relationship status? My current relationship status, I'm in a relationship um, with an amazing human that I love. That's great. And how long have you been with this amazing human? Um, like about a year, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so where did you guys meet? Well, our story... Um, and have you told your story at Touchpoint? I, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't really speak very openly okay. about my love totally. life. Um, That's ironic. Uh, it is and it isn't. Yeah. I think that Touchpoint is a place where you know we can learn from other people, mm. um, but it's really a place where people who want to share can share. Yeah. Um, and there are moments when I do, and there are moments when I don't. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that like my my personal love life is just not something I really usually. Yeah talk about often totally that so what's the journey that led you to touchpoint well i mean so i think that when i was young i was i was 20 i was 23 and i moved to new york and i i uh got into a a bit of debt because i learned that credit cards were these amazing instruments where you could really get whatever you wanted and you didn't have to pay anything for Mm. it uh and at some point you do have to pay the money back and so that was it problematic. And so one day my landlord came and knocked on my door and he said, Jared, you haven't paid rent in four months. You owe me $10,000. Um, That's a nice landlord. Uh, he's still my landlord. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, he's like a father figure to me at this mm-hmm. point. But um, 
you haven't paid your rent in four months, and if you can't pay us the balance, you know, by Monday, end of day, it was Friday. Right. Then we're gonna have to start the eviction process. Mm. I was like, okay. So I did what anybody would do in that situation. Right. I went to the movies, and um, <laughs> and the movie at the time was a movie with Will Smith called Hitch. And Hitch is like one of my favorite movies. Well, so I sat I sat in this theater by myself that Friday night, and I was like, I could do this. Yeah. I should be him. Right. And so I Albert I went, Brenneman, is that his name? So 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 uh I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I went to uh so I went to Craigslist and I placed an ad in the women seeking men section because I figured that's where men would be looking for mm. women to date and I placed an ad and the subject line was trouble and love with a question mark. And then the ad said, um, I will teach you how to meet and marry the woman of your dreams. Email me love jam mm. I had no idea what I was talking about. Right. I was fully unqualified. I don't believe that I had facial hair yet. <laughs> and so, um, anyway, I got all these responses. Yeah. And the responses ranged from, you know, they ranged from stop spamming Craigslist, this is an ad, right. to, you know, gratuitous photos of people's genitals. Mm. And somewhere in there, there was one person who was truly interested. Huh. And his email, I'll never forget verbatim, said, sounds like bullshit, tell me more. So mm, I emailed email. him back. Very New Yorker. I emailed him back and I was like, have you seen the movie Hitch? It's like loosely based on my story. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, this is just, this is just truly a, a, just a series of, of lies. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I said, you know, I can, I can help you, uh, you know, achieve whatever you want in love. And uh we engaged in an email back and forth, and then we made a plan to meet at Doc Seafood on the Upper West Side the following Monday. Mm. And so we met at 3 o'clock at Doc Seafood on the Upper West Side. I had purchased a cheap suit from Men's Warehouse for like $90. It was untailored. I kind of looked like Tom Hanks in the last scene. Amazing. Um, I bought a Palm Pilot because Hitch had one of those I thought made me look super profesh. And I showed up, and I ended up taking him shopping that afternoon, and we talked about all the things. And finally, I corner of like 76th and Columbus like almost early evening he says like so what does it take what do we do to work together I was like it's a 30 day program yeah and uh you know I'm gonna change your life it's it's ten thousand dollars yeah and he doesn't even he didn't even blink he just took out his checkbook and he cut me a check for five thousand dollars and was like I'm gonna give you the five thousand when we're done I'm like Great. So then I took the $5,000, I shocked. ran it to my landlord, yeah. endorsed it over him, and I said, I, I need 30 days and I'll get you the balance. He's like, how did you get this money? What is this? And I'm like, well, I met this guy on Craigslist. He's like, I don't want to hear anymore. I'm good. <laughs> and, um, but, but now, you know, I did. I worked with this man and we had this yeah. insane experience. And um, But eight months later, I was you know, being featured on television as an expert on life and love. So, so what, <laughs> ha, that's, first of all, congrats. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I don't but know. I don't know. It's really just How like, did it go with the man that you spent the It was amazing. I think with? that, I mean, it was a, it, I mean, this is a kind of experience where like, what was profound for me is that like, we ended up, you know, he had, to, I took him to his first AA meeting down mm. in Alphabet City, uh, we went out to the Hamptons to clear out the house that he had with his wife who passed away from cancer five years earlier. Mm. We reconnected him with his daughter who he was estranged from and hadn't spoken to in two years. It was a... Um, wow. Yeah, I think that Sounds it was... Sounds like it was beshared, if you know what that word means. Yeah, I do. And it was one of these things where it's like, there's a lot 
on in the pursuit of love one of the things that that experience really taught me is that like you know when we're dealing when we're talking about love when we're talking about sex when we're talking about intimacy when we're talking about like cultivating relationship yeah. in our lives like we're talking about actually everything and it's about the relationships we have with our parents and with ourselves and with right. our siblings and with the physical spaces that we are in and the the identities that we we work so hard to embody right and um but i think that you know the point is that ultimately that work did lead me to more clients and and uh which ultimately led me to television and ultimately like by 2008 I had like a monthly column in Shape magazine that was read by six million, you know, people a month. I had a really weekly awesome. segment on the Today Show. I mean, you literally it was saw a wild something. Ride. Yeah. yeah, you saw something you wanted to do, and mm -hmm. you did it, and you killed it. Like so, that's... yeah. But where it gets, yeah. where I think what I had this big epiphany where I was being asked to create this content. The higher one climbs on that totem mm -hmm. pole of like being an expert. Right. So the more you really have to start selling certainty to people, right? Like right. people want to know like, how do I find the love of my life? Right. How do I achieve the body of right. my dreams? And you have to tell them like with certainty, like this is how you do it. Right. Well, it was really difficult for me to do that because I knew that like how I achieve those things is not necessarily how you will achieve them. We come from different places. That's we're true. We're very different. And right. I think that it's hard to... It's hard to give people, sell people uncertainty mm. when, when like, you can really only speak from your own experience. Well, I think if you say, like, um, but this is just from my experience at the end, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, you say, like, something. Yeah, like well, well, ultimately, I think the idea of being anyone's, like, coach really just didn't just sit well with me. Yeah. I just didn't want that role. Right. I just have so, I think I'm just too keenly aware of how much I have to learn mm. that it was too challenging for me and I didn't want that role. And so I stepped out of it. I did a lot of other things. I pursued mm -hmm. other artistic expressions. Um, and then one day I just really had an epiphany two years ago that like I was really ready to step back into that role, mm -hmm. but I wanted to step into it less as a coach or and more, a, and more of just a, a person who wanted to host a conversation right, like a facilitator. and really and, and acknowledge that like you and me and our mm. friends and our friends friends and our families that like everybody is an expertise is an expert in their own experience mm -hmm. and so if we can you know if we can organize the people and we can learn from their experiences right. together that we have so much to learn from each other like really the collective consciousness around love and sex is yeah. really powerful and so that's when you know touchpoint was born all of a sudden one day i got 10 friends together in a living room and it was like let's talk and now we're here that's awesome so that's the that's the story of how i ended up it's in a great this story and, and when was the first touchpoint ever april 7th 2016 awesome yeah and am i speaking loud enough yeah you're perfect <laughs> who were the friends who were the friends? Or well, like, not who were the friends, but like, were they close friends? Did you curate it a little bit? Or were you just like, whoever's down, let's do this? No, I think that they were chosen really carefully. Um, um, some of them, many of them I knew. A couple I didn't because I put the list together with, with a, another friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And we did it in her apartment. And um, it was a really, it was a wild experience, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I realized that <clears throat> in creating this space, there were a couple things that I wanted to do. The first thing was I, I wanted to make it democratic in terms of what we were going to talk about. So mm -hmm. I had everybody submit questions anonymously beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then I 
uh, allowed everybody to vote on the questions that had been submitted when they came in. Mm. And so the most upvoted question became the subject of the night. So it wasn't me saying, this is what I think is important. It was right. it was really just like, what does this crew want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the question they voted up was, how do I introduce BDSM into my sex life? Wow. Yeah. And I'm I was shocked. like, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I can't believe that I'm going to be the facilitator of this because I don't even know what we're talking about. So right. I was the first question. I was like, I'm right. a muggle. What is BDSM? Is BDSM? And somebody graciously, yeah. you know, who's like, it's bondage, domination, sadomasochism. And I was like, wow, like, and this is like Fifty Shades of Grey. Right, really exactly. Scaly. And, um, and it was a wild, you know, it was a wild conversation. But there was a story that was shared in that in that conversation that really changed my life and shifted like my perspective and really is what like inspired me to want to keep doing this every single month what, was there anything from that conversation you are able to share with us well the story uh you know i think that the stories that emerge from touchpoint and the ideas the, the reason why touchpoint exists yeah. is to um to collect and share uh, and organize the collective consciousness around love and sex mm. so it's not it's not a space where like there's no attribution unless somebody right. cares to be at, you know cares you know for that but it's really a space where we we do we share we share out all the stories and all the books and all the things mm-hmm. um, so yeah the story that was told was a woman who was in a sexless marriage for many years and then mm-hmm. she got divorced and she found a new boyfriend and he too was in a sexless marriage and had gotten divorced and they got together and they were together like I don't know they were together like six nine months something like that and they had a conversation one night and discussed that neither one of them had ever tried anything erotic or anything mm. really like outside their comfort zone and so mm-hmm. they end up having this conversation decide that maybe you know they're gonna try something new and they go down to this like sex shop and they like nervously buy like some handcuffs right. and they don't even know what to do with them and she says and we go up to his apartment and the next thing you know like I'm handcuffed to his kitchen table having the best sex of my life and I'm like turning red being like I cannot yeah. believe that this is right. happening right, right now and I look at her and I'm like well why was it the best sex of your life? Mm-hmm. And she says, because I realized that I really trusted him and that I really felt safe and I've never felt that level of safety and trust in a partner. And all of a sudden my mind like just burst wide open and I was like, oh my God, so when we're talking about BDSM or things that are like erotic or things that we feel are like off limits and like mm-hmm. in some sense like not safe for life, like right. we can't even talk about them anywhere, um, um, we're talking about safety and trust and we're talking about partnership. Mm. And I think that that was like really revelatory for me that like sex and, and relationship can be used as a prism to understand things like like fear and self-esteem and creativity and and, and childhood and, and, and all these things. And so I was like, wow, mm. we have to keep doing this. We have to go deeper and learn more. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, like on that note kind of, do you believe that a relationship is something that you should get into once you're kind of developed or that um, a relationship helps you develop and like, or neither, you know, or both? Hmm. Let me think on that for a second. Mm-hmm. Um... Because in, this, in the story you told, and this is just mm-hmm. why I thought of that, I was like, oh, she, like, they needed each other in a way, you know? Like, they wouldn't have explored mm-hmm. their own selves if they hadn't had their the, mm-hmm. the other partner to, mm-hmm. to do that. I think that my answer to that question is that we always get the love we're ready for. Mm. And I think that um, 
we, you know, there's no such thing as the wrong relationship at the wrong time with the wrong right. person. I think that some relationships trigger us more than others mm. and incite more suffering. And all it's really doing is unearthing things that are there. You know, I had a previous partner that I remember one time I would get so angry and I was shouting and I looked at her and I'm like, sometimes you bring the worst out in me. Mm. And then I stopped for a second and I was like, but you didn't put it there. Right. 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 Like you might bring it out. Right. But it's there. Right. My work is to address it. Right. So that it's not there anymore. Exactly. And so thank God we have this space. Thank God we created but this no sandbox. no one, by the way, what you just said is like so, like so wise, but nobody thinks that way yet, unfortunately. And maybe it's like, it comes with age or whatever it is, but at least for the people, the men that I know that are around my age would never look at a relationship that brings the worst out in them and think ever in their mind this could be something I need to fix. You know what I mean? Well, I think that, I think that, um, it, to the credit of humanity, yeah. um, we haven't really prioritized, um, a, 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 a social education in an infrastructural type of way. Mm-hmm. Meaning that like, you know, yes, we have systems that teach us how to do geometry and English lit and chemistry and biology but but we don't really have any formal education around how to truly listen how to truly empathize how to communicate um and so we're kind of left to figure that out in really two places as children like at home witnessing our parents who you know that's i nobody taught them so they're Mm. just figuring it out and then at school on playgrounds where like we're dealing with people that have been alive just as long as we are and they're just mimicking the patterns they see at home and so i think that like it is important to like approach all the people with a certain level of empathy to know that like, you know, we're all just practicing and we have a lot to learn and we haven't really created an infrastructure where where we're teaching people, mm-hmm. um, where we're teaching people how to do these things. And I think that's part of my life's work yeah. is to build an infrastructure like that. I agree. Yeah. What is your zodiac sign? Your sun sign. <laughs> um, it's you knew a, it was coming. <laughs> it's the Capricorn. Oh. But when people ask me what my sign is, I usually just say I'm a peace sign. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, people could confuse that with Pisces. Oh, that's true. I should really make sure I enunciate. <laughs> so you're a Capricorn, and I'm assuming you know you're rising in moon because of your partner. Do you know? I don't. Do you, do you want to know? I would love to if you want to tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. Yeah, a little quick thing yeah I mean, I it. think that, I mean, I have many friends that subscribe to these ideologies. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my rising sign is maybe a, is a, Well, do you know I the time know. of your birth? Yeah. Okay, so we'll figure it out right now. 4.47 a.m. I was born at 4.50 a.m. Oh my God. That's really cool. Let I've never. See. We're so connected. Connection. I'm also a Capricorn moon, um, which I'll explain what that means. Yeah, see, I don't know these things. Okay, so you're January or January, December? January. January. January 17th. Seven, you're a 17er. What does that mean? So I really believe that the day of the month that you're born yeah. is more connected to you than the zodiac sign. So like you and another person born on the 17th in any month yeah. are very similar and connected. Oh my God, thank God. Why? Is that your partner? No, but I just love right. that. Yeah, it's Well, great. mostly because I share a birthday with Muhammad Ali. Oh, that's awesome. And he he was the greatest of all time. 
Wait, so you're January 17th. What's, uh, what? 1982. 1982. Also, you share a birthday with... Jim Carrey. Um, Jim Carrey. Wait, yeah. I have a whole list. Yeah. Um, how do you Michelle know that, Obama. Wait, how do you know all the people that were born on January 17th? My two best friends who are twins are born on January 17th. Oh my God, so you and I are really destined to. Yeah. It's, yeah it's okay. Weird. All right. Thank God we're here. Okay. <laughs> um, and 4.47 a.m. Yeah. Okay. That is hilarious. Yeah, so Michelle funny. Obama too, huh? Yeah, Michelle Obama. And there's a few others yeah, as well. Yeah, a lot of people were born on January yeah. 17th. Um, you have a lot of sevens in your uh, chart. I think you went past it. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah, 47. Okay. Um, and where were you born? I was bor- born in Los Angeles. Yeah, my parents, we moved when I was two. It was a little jarring because nobody really, you know, one day people just started going into my room. They packed up all my things. I was on a plane. You have siblings? Nobody really asked me anything. Mm. I was just on a plane, two years old. It's crazy. You know, nobody consults you around these big life decisions when you're two. With your siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. Um... Oh, so we're both uh, the youngest as well. We're the Look babies. Yeah. So um, you are Sagittarius rising, okay. which makes a lot of sense. Okay. You have the intention to broaden your horizon, and you're full of inquisitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. I have so a lot of questions. not many Capricorns have that need or curiosity. Uh, that's your Sagittarius rising that does that for you. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And your moon, which is totally typical, um, even though I just met you, is Scorpio. Yeah. Um, it's just like mystery and like depth and like darkness. Cool. Um, in a good way. Thank so God. you got a lot of good things. All right, here I am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Scorpio, you Sagittarius, And your Venus. Capricorn. Oh, of course, of course. Ah. So your Venus dictates your love, and yeah. your Venus is an Aquarius, which is the the sign that beats the uh, marches to the beat of their own drum. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So that's, I mean, I don't know anything about your love life because you didn't really talk about it, but yeah. I'm assuming you march the beat of your own drum. Can we confirm? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love totally. it. Totally. Love it. And you communicate. Wow, you really got all the things there, huh? All the things. You're really into astrology. All the things. It really speaks to wow, you? Wow, you are full of mystery, though. Which I is am? very interesting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right, so that's glad me. We did, glad we did that so mini reading. That's me in an astrological nutshell. There you go. So... Um, did you talk about sex before you started Touchpoint, like openly? Um, like, and I don't mean at Touchpoint or yeah. in public or, you know, with your friends. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I thought I did, mm-hmm. but I didn't, mm-hmm. you know? I think that, I think that that's, you know, one of the big, one of the, one of the big uh, inspirations, you know, I, I say that I'm a student. I always thank everyone who comes to Touchpoint. I let them know that they're my greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I I didn't know many things until I began this journey. And yeah. no, we were not talking openly about these things. And my life, all, every relationship is different in my life now as a result of, of Touchpoint and that mm-hmm. permission to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So there was a story that was um, shared in the Touchpoint that I went to last week, and it was a couple who were really good at communication. And um, there was one instance where she had no- the woman had noticed it was a man and a woman, and she had noticed that he was kind of. I don't know if he was pulling back or just like in his head and she said something like I can tell you're not over your ex or something yeah. and 
he was like open about it and he was like yeah i'm not and, and she was like well what do you miss about her and that was very like i jarring to me because i was like i would be too afraid to know what my partner misses about their ex mm-hmm. um what's your take on that i think that i think that when we choose from fear mm. we are not creating the best opportunities for mm-hmm. ourselves, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, you know, whenever we say, I don't do X because I'm afraid, dot, 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 mm. you know, there's a high probability that we are, we're not designing or cultivating something that really has the chances of like really growing and thriving, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, I think that overcoming that fear, like why, why would you be afraid? Right. That's the next question. Why would you be afraid? And right. what do you have to be afraid of? Right. I'm asking. Oh, like when... Yeah, if that was you, like why you're saying you would be too afraid to ask that question. You'd be too afraid to know. Well, what are you afraid of? I guess I'm afraid of learning that he misses something about an ex that I can never provide for him. Why? Why is that scary to me? Mm-hmm. Because then it, I, I know right then and there it's not going to work out. Why is that? If, if that's something he needs, like if yeah. it's a non-negotiable. Sure. Well, it's interesting, you know, it's like it, 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 it the, the thing that's interesting is yeah. that if it is a non-negotiable, if it mm-hmm. truly is a non-negotiable, then yeah, it's actually a really good thing to find out. Yeah, you're right. right? Because the you're truth right. is that if it is a non-negotiable, you're, right. you're going to find it out. It's just in what yeah. context do you want to find it out over a conversation in right. which we can be open and honest and loving or right. when we find, when we start, when you freak out and start going through his text messages in a year or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, of course. I think that the truth in some sense is unavoidable. I think you're right, and I think a, a big part of why um, uh, some women are hesitant to kind of ask tough questions is because part of us, and you know, obviously not all women, but at least me, from my experience, are in denial and don't like want to know if it's gonna work out or not on the spot right away. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know that if you like, this is the first generation where if you send the wrong text, like, it could be over. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like our parents have no idea what that's like. Mm-hmm. None. And so I think it's like, well, better to be safe than sorry. But the conversation that needs to be had is actually no. Better to be sorry than safe. I brought you a thing. Oh. I love it. I love a thing. Oh, it's a feather. So, um, I, I give these feathers to, to every single person who comes to Touchpoint. Oh, I love that. And the story behind these feathers, um, and this is, this is going to be in a direct answer to your question. Okay, great. I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. Mm. So, so I started finding these feathers last year. I was in Kenya and I found a feather that looked just like this. And I was like, this is beautiful. I'm going to take it home. And then after I got home a couple days later, I found another feather just like it in Brooklyn. And I was like, this is weird. That's like just like the feather. So I took that one home. And then a few days later, I found one like on the Lower East Side. And I was like, okay, I'm finding these feathers everywhere. And then over the course of the year, I found about 50 or 60 of these feathers in 10 different countries all over the world and in cities across the United States. Okay? So... So I ended up with like 50 or 60 of these feathers. Like in random places. All, always on the street. 
all these. Things. So I'll show you. So so I can show you the yeah, first. Did you take so, a picture well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I show you this. So like this is the very first feather that I found. Wow. And then this is one I found on the street in Portugal. That looks like this. Right. So so now I I now I purchase these feathers and mm. I, I distribute them to everybody at Touchpoint because one day when I found this feather in mm. Portugal. I'd found so many feathers, and and I, I wrote this post. I was like, one day, I, I think I found enough feathers to build the wings I've always wanted. Mm. And this concept of wings became really profound to me because I think when we think about love, yeah, I think we often think of the the iconography. We think of love. We think of the heart mm -hmm. because we identify love as a feeling, but. To me, love is in fact like a set of wings. It's something that empowers us to be bigger and better and to soar in ways that we couldn't. Love is not just a feeling, it's fuel. Yeah. It's a thing that we can truly run on. I right? believe that, yeah. Okay, so, so the purpose of the feather though is I believe that my experience with Touchpoint and having these conversations, and now I've had these conversations with you know almost 3,000 people, mm. right? And that doesn't include these conversations right, right? right so it's just an infinite amount of yeah. sitting with people and creating space and learning from them and listening to them and mm. exchanging and, and 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 that obviously has played a, a profound role in my romantic relationship and my relationships with everybody i know but the point is that every time we sit and we do this and we create a space where we can just authentically be ourselves mm. we get a feather mm. every single time and then over time all of a sudden we have these like metaphorical wings because we right. know we've learned mm. how to create the space for truth. And when we create the space for truth, we can do whatever we want. We can start yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Right? We can start podcasts. We totally. can create amazing love. We can have amazing, tr you know, transcendent sexual experiences. Right. We can change careers. We can build deeper friendships. We can do all the things. Yeah. And so I would say that like, the to bring it back to the question around mm. you know you know the the fear and anxiety around saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing mm. it's like when do we just live in trust mm -hmm. when do we choose to just live in trust and speak from our heart and and come from love mm -hmm. and just allow the things to be what they are mm -hmm. so you know i think that that's uh that's how I feel about mm -hmm. the circumstance that you're presenting. Mm -hmm. You know that if that is that if that relationship can right. hold it, yeah. it will hold it. I agree. Actually, last night I was at dinner with a few friends, and um, we had a, a discussion that turned into a heated debate. And um, it was actually the my girlfriend and I, who has your birthday, weirdly enough, <laughs> versus her boyfriend and my friend, and. The argument began because we were talking about the kind of um, gray area that you're in with a partner before you kind of define the relationship and where it's going. And I said something along the lines of like, a man, I believe, and this is totally my opinion, should ask two things, like if, you know, if he should ask two things to a woman in, a, in like, you know, if, if it's, we're talking about a man and a woman. Right. Um, and that's to be his girlfriend and to marry him. And I, I stand by that. And so just off the bat, what's your thought on, on that? Do you, you think that's ridiculous? Uh, so the question is around defining relationships? Yes, but most importantly that it's the man's like roles to, to define it in a way. I think that it would be really important for you 
to find a partner who agrees with you <laughs> because that's really all that matters. I think like that there's me not specifically or totally everyone you because mm-hmm. that's your belief. And mm. so you should find a partner that also believes that and then you're good. I think that, you know, everybody is going to have their own beliefs yeah. on like what and how and when. Right. I think that what I've found is that, you know, I would push back and say, well, what does it mean to be someone's girlfriend? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Nothing. Well, no, but what does it mean? When you say somebody should say that, what does it mean? It means like... Does it like, mean that they only have sex with you? Because that's yes. not... I know people that have girlfriends and those are not the only but people that, that But that's with. what it means to... to um, no, that's, that's not true. Um, being someone's girlfriend means that you can invite them to family events. That's literally what it means. Okay, so... <laughs> Okay, so now this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay, so I like to say that defining the relationship tends to come down to those two questions. Historically, it does come down to what are we and where is this going? Right. The problem is that it's not enough. It's not enough. It's just not enough because we don't really know what any of these things mean. We really have to unpack them. They're just Mm. symbols for ideas and we don't really know what the ideas are because what a girlfriend or a partner or a wife means to me may not be the same it means to you. Mm. And so there are two, two different questions that I propose when people are trying to define a relationship. And I think you can actually start these questions from the minute you meet. And these are the questions. These are the two. Let's this hear is it. The new, the this new, new question. The remix on, <laughs> remix on defining the relationship. Ready? Ready. Okay. Here we go. What do you need from me? Mm. And what can I expect from you? Mm. That's really it. Because truly, that's that's, so good. I'm that's, it down. that's what a relationship is. A relationship is defining boundaries around those two questions. Mm-hmm. What do you need from me? What can I expect from you? I expect that you're going to invite me to family affairs. Mm. I need us to explore each other sexually exclusively. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. These are things. This is what we discuss. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have that conversation from the minute you meet a person. What do you expect from me? I expect you to look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. Right? I expect you. That wasn't me saying that you should. <laughs> I'm just saying. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, you could say that to a man, whoever on a date. You can say, sure, I expect, sure. you know, I expect you to pay the bill. Right. I expect us to, to split the bill. Do you see? Yeah, I do. So that's it. So it's like, because the truth is that like these terms, you know, these terms are very, um, you know, first of all, the words boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, they're incredibly gendered. So what it means to be a good boyfriend is actually fundamentally different than what it means to be a good girlfriend historically, Mm. right? Mm. But like we're seeing these gender roles are, are, are becoming very different and we're seeing a lot of blend between a lot of these things so it's like you know to be a good boyfriend or be a good girlfriend or be a good husband or be a good wife or whatever it's like you know what does it mean to be a good partner Hmm. you know because partnership is this elusive thing that we can define however we want yeah i noticed you called your partner your partner she is (laughs) yeah she truly is yes she is my partner and by the way when i'm not looking at you it's because i want you to turn to the mic too (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I really wasn't calling you up. No, I know. I know. Yeah, I'm telling you so oh. you go closer oh, yeah. to the mic. Okay, I'm closer to the Don't mic. Don't worry. I'm aggressive, not passive yeah. aggressive. Um, so... I'm, I'm aggressive, aggressive. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Oh, fuck. I had a train of thought. Oh, yeah. So you call your partner your partner. Yeah. Why are we 
why am I still calling my partner my boyfriend? Why why can't I call him my partner? Too? You you can. Great. I've I'm officially doing I'm, that. I'm putting the, the so, dust on you now. You're, so you're, then you're in. so let's combine your thoughts and my thoughts. Yeah. Can I say to my person that I'm dating or or sorry, rather, can they ask me then still, can you be my partner? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I mean I ask her that once a month. <laughs> but I think that I think that I think that this is the thing. I mm-hmm. think that um, I I don't I'm not really dogmatic around any of these you know ideas. I think that yeah. the first thing to know is that all of these ideas have come to me through this experience of touch mm-hmm. point. So you know I have been able to access a collective conscious right. consciousness that that many people haven't because right. I've been there for every single one of these things and I've heard the things and partnership was not a term I ever used before I started this but what I learned is that me and you are in, in a relationship. Yeah. And you and like the the barista, wherever you possibly yeah. get a latte, the same human you see every day. You I don't, don't drink you, coffee. Okay, well, wherever you choose to go on a regular <laughs> basis, the gym, yeah. the movies, wherever, where the people may know you, right? There's a relationship there and you have yes. a relationship with your friends. These are all relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we think about relationship, relationship is really based on circumstance. It's really based on we are in the same place at the same time. We have a similar so value. So relationship isn't a partnership. Correct. Wow. So, so however, however, a relationship isn't... What? <laughs> really? Well, I mean, this is, this is you know, there's people drilling. They want to hang up a thing. Oh, this we, is, let's th- just wait. Maybe it'll We're stop. experiencing life right now. You're right. We this are. is what a relationship you're is. Right, I right. want to do this right. in quiet because I want it to be perfect. But the <laughs> neighbors right. want to hang up a poster. They also want to have a dog that they abandon so he barks all day. And oh. it breaks my heart. Oh, jeez. breaks my I'll take care of him. Right. You know? I think that would actually, they'd probably really appreciate that. Right? But I feel like we're welcoming the sound and right. we're, we're integrating it now. Let's integrate we're it. We're integrating this. Let's make right. more sense. Right, no, this is great. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a full integration. That's it. So, oh wow, that's that's very, you <laughs> it's know? very distracting. I mean, that's intense. Yeah. Um, Maybe let me just find out what's going on here. Sure. <laughs> so, to conclude, um, we are all partners now, not yeah. just in relationships. Well, but I think you can be, you know, sometimes she's totally my girlfriend. Yeah. And, you know, but she's always my partner, right. you know? I think that, like, understanding, there's not, like, this exclusiveness around, you know, we're only partners or this, that. Right. Person. But the nature of partnership is different. Like I was saying, we have relationships, we have mm-hmm. companionships, we have partnerships. Mm. Companionships are, like, people that we meet and, like, we love spending time with them. We're not necessarily right. going to build anything with them. This isn't a collaboration. Right. But, like, they're fun. Mm. And companionships are so important to our happiness and our experience on Earth. And sometimes we, we, will, we will undervalue companionships. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I'm not looking for a companion. I'm looking for a partner. But companions right. can be very helpful. Oh, companions are the best. They can be the bridges into real partnership. Yeah. So I think partnership for me is just based on, like, can we help each other serve our personal missions? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I used to be very rigid when it came to partnerships and love. And I used to say, I don't, I'm not interested unless it's like going to turn into something. Yeah. And uh, that was just a terrible way of looking <laughs> at things because like, who the fuck knows if it's going to turn into anything like right off the bat. And even if it isn't, it's, 
a companionship. It's always going to turn into something. Yeah. But regardless of what it turns into, it's destined to turn into something else. Mm-hmm. So we can't really be so invested in like what it may or may not turn into. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this interview. Right. Like it's now turned into us <laughs> against the drilling. Us against the drill. And we're just, we're rolling with we're it. We're rolling. You know? And that's it. Like yeah. relationships are that. They're incredibly dynamic. You know, being in partnership with a human is not like being in partnership with a couch. Right. The couch you've purchased is just the one we're sitting on. It's going to stay this way forever. But your partner is just going to keep evolving and changing and so will the relationship. Yeah. I love that. And, um... Do you believe the statement or agree with the statement that there is no such thing as an original thought? Why do you ask? Because we we also talked about this last night. My friend said that there is no such thing as an original thought. Like even when you're five and something pops into your head, it's something from like your your nat your nurture nature, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not inside you. Wow. That's a you know, there's a great quote that I mm. love. That is, uh, originality is the art of remembering what you hear, but forgetting where you hear it. Um, so that's one perspective. Mm. But um, I really, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I would like to think there's such thing as an original thought. I think that there's, I think that like, I think that the question actually makes me think of a piano. I mean, you're just going to really have to allow. You're right. You're getting so frustrated with this drilling. You're right. Because I'm a perfectionist. Right, but it's perfect. Because now this episode is like, it's me and the drill. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to include and, the drill. And people are going to love it. They're going to be like, like, thank God it was... founders uh, of Touchpoint. Right. Jared and... And the drill. The drill. That's it. We're running the drill. <laughs> so, so I think that... You think of a piano. Mm. This is what's so interesting. Mozart and Stevie Wonder have the same set of notes. Mm. Same set of notes. It's the same notes. It's the Mm. same 88 keys. They have the same notes. Stevie Wonder looks at the keys and he puts them together differently and he creates a different thing. It's a new thing from the same elements. And Mozart takes the same elements and he created a whole different thing, right? Right. So it's not, I guess, originality to me is not in a singular idea. It's in the confluence of a variety of ideas and inspiration. Like Friendster sucked and then Facebook was fucking great. Right. It's like anything else. Yeah. You know, like we are not necessarily, we are original because we are the confluence of many, many ideas. Right. You see? Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there an original thought in its like, in in it in a in a singular way? No. Mm. But I think originality is at the intersection of many ideas, which is why it's called Touchpoint. Yeah. You know the the nature of Touchpoint. It's 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 a place where the, all the things converge. Touch. Yeah. Right. It's an intersection. And that's it. At that intersection, something original definitely has emerged. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, But each of those individual parts is that original. Is the polyamorous story original? The monogamous story original? The transgender story original? The asexual story original? Are these original stories? No. The fact that they're all being shared in the same room at the same time with, I mean, and emerging and becoming something that people can access? Yeah, there's nothing like it. Mm. You know? Ooh, you just brought up asexual. Have you ever known or met an asexual person? At this point, I believe I have had the good fortune of meeting um, many, many different shades of humans. 
So not, so, a, but not yet an asexual. Oh, I have, I have. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, people who identify as asexual. I think the most important thing about any of these terms, any of them, whether it's around gender or sexual mm-hmm. orientation or anything, is that they're on a spectrum and they're mm. very fluid. Mm. So it's like, have I met anybody who what who identified as the, at the time as asexual right. or demisexual right. or semisexual right. or pansexual? Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, I I think it's important that you know I think it's important. What's pansexual? I have to ask. Okay, so pansexuality is where you're really attracted to the, the all of the people. Mm. So it's really Even like like animals. No, I stressed people. Um, so, animals so, are people. Although we are, well, I would say people are animals, yeah. but I don't know if all animals right, are right, people. Right, but, right. but I think that, Dogs. no, it's, it's really the idea that, like, you know, it's not, it, it scales beyond just our basic binary understandings of gender. You know, you may be attracted to a transgender man, a transgender woman. Right. You know, there's really, like, you, you can find yourself uh, loving or, or, or aroused any by, type. you know, any, any, anyone. Right? Um, and so... But I think my point is that I think that that like we find ourselves in these moments where we're very fluid as as a species. We're very fluid, and so at, there are points where people identify as asexual. That doesn't mean that they are asexual. Mm, I see. Do you I see what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Like, and I think it's an important framing for mm-hmm. all of us to know because we're so quick to you know. I've in my explorations over the last two years, I found that the it is our it is our relationship to identity as a whole mm. that actually is the trigger for almost we, all of um, We were talking about everything happening for a reason and cross cross <laughs> past crossing mm-hmm. for reasons. Do you believe in that? Um, so it's a basic physics principle, mm-hmm. right? That everything has, you know. Uh, every action has an equal but opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And so then, yes, everything does happen because of something else, right? Right. I think that... I think that... But, like, you saw Hitch for a reason. Well, I think that's a a story. Right. And so this is where our creative minds Mm. get to... Creating Create a narrative Mm. around what's happening because we just need to connect the dots, because we couldn't possibly accept that they're just these little particles of experience floating around aimlessly. We need mm. to like string them all together. And yeah. so our creative minds get to say like, oh my God, this makes perfect sense because this happened because of that and that happened because of this and that's it. And like we get to tell these stories. And so I think that like ultimately like that story, you know, what you're referencing is mm-hmm. like, we can either tell that story in a like super positive and empowering way, or we could tell that story in like a you know in a not so positive or empowering way. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's a story that we're creating. It's yeah, fun for true. you and I. That's true. It is fun. It makes right. life a lot better yeah. for me and you to say everything. Happens. We've been brought together right. by the universe, right? Whether or not like we are going to suspend our disbelief. And say like that's true. Right. I don't know. I just know that it makes life a lot fun to believe in those things. It does. And I choose to believe in those. Things. I think it's a it's like um a glass glass. <laughs> I can't speak it's to okay, that. you're perfect. <laughs> a glass half full type of thing because 
it makes you feel more positive totally. about life. Well, that's you know? it. So I think it's it's a it's an instrument. It's a tool. Yeah. To enjoy your life more. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh my God, this is such an opportunity for that, and this is thank right. God, I, mean, I love that way of thinking, but I it's do still too. a tool, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And diving right from there into porn, so everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So we had a really amazing porn star on the podcast this week. Her name is Asa Akira, and she specializes in gang bangs and anal, and okay. um, both of which I've never done before. Um, so I was really interested to hear about what she had to say. And, um, and we got to talking about porn and we kind of do on every episode. I feel like your whole, like touch point is very pure and like raw and maybe raw isn't the right word when like comparing it to porn, but it's very pure and porn is not pure. Um, and it's, it's, you know, in your face and it's like over the top. Um, do you feel negatively towards porn because of that? Um, or you like it and kind of use it as more of a tool? So you're asking me personally what my relationship is to porn? Yeah. I've never really watched any porn in my life. Mm. Um, I'm just not interested in it at all. Mm -hmm. It it feels funny. Mm. (laughs) Um, I think that... Have you ever recorded yourself? Have I ever recorded myself having sex? Yes. I mean, I think that there have been some partners where we've like experimented or explored with yeah. that, but not like in any really meaningful right, way. Right, like, right, right. never really like thoughtful. But or... why is it that porn doesn't appeal to you? Why doesn't porn appeal to me? It feels, I mean, the porn that I've witnessed over the course of my life has felt incredibly performative. Mm. It just didn't. You know, I think that I started, you know, I started falling in love when I was in kindergarten and um, I've considered myself a student of love and its expressions my whole life. And, and yeah, I think that Touchpoint um, has, you know, there's been so many conversations about porn and the relationship that people have to porn is like, it's kind of their entry point into sexuality for many people, mm. which it wasn't for me. Um and it's also a form of sexual education for a lot of people, and that's not exclusively men; it's it's women as well. Yeah, uh, the, you know the, the you know we learn how to how to vocalize, and 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 we also like learn like what we should want. Right. You know, like men should really want it this way. Women mm. should really want this, and, mm. and and you know those those things don't necessarily align. So no, I don't know. It's just never really spoken to me. I think that I've had the blessing of having like amazing. Um, you know, people who I've been able to explore love with and all of its expressions, like my whole life. And so it's just never. So you would say you, the way that you kind of learned how to make love, Mm -hmm. um, is through your partnerships. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And it's like making love is an interesting expression too, because I think that people tend to think of making love as like a tempo. Mm. Then making love. And by the way, I've never called sex making love with anyone else in any podcast episode except for this one because it just like feels like it feels right. That's what you like to call it. Well, it's funny. I, I like to call you know it lots of different things, but I think that making love specifically is not a tempo; it's an intention. And so we often think of making love as like, oh, it's this like slow, mm. passionate moment where we're eye gazing mm. and we're really like, I don't know, oh, yeah, we're listening to Rod Stewart. Like, I don't know. Uh, you know what I yeah. mean? 
But to me, that's not what making love right. is. Making love is an intention. Yeah. You know, you could be having sex in a way that's like super aggressive and like wild to and do with love. creative, yeah. right? Um, and still be making love because the intention is to cultivate you know, real intimacy. It's like a tantric expression where we're trying to get as close to each other as humanly possible that Mm. we want to, you know, I think that, I think that making love is, is, uh, is the highest form of sexual expression. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with how fast or slow or aggressive or passive we're being, you know, you Mm -hmm. could, you could, I don't know, you could tie somebody up and be whipping them and still be making love. Yeah. Nobody's ever tied me up or whipped me. Mm. So now we know the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> um, have you seen any of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies? I tried to watch one. Mm. And it started, I was 20 minutes in, and I really couldn't get through it. So you you mentioned a lot of, um, of like, why... But I'm uh, glad it exists. It's brought, it's brought, yeah, it's brought a lot of consciousness around what's possible totally. to explore sexually and romantically, and I think that's great for people. I agree. Um, but so going back, you said something about like you get the relationship that you're ready for. What are like a few signs that you're ready for a tr- like the, the one, you know? Wow. Well, I don't know. The one to me is a, another idea. Not the one. Let's not say one because there's not necessarily one in my in my opinion. But the person that you're going to form a partnership with that sure. is long lasting. I think that. What I've learned through Touchpoint, um, through listening and witnessing other people's journeys, and what I've been able to apply to my own, is uh, I think it, it comes down to like one question, and it's really like, do I feel like this partnership um, will be in service of my personal mission on Earth? And I think that having clarity on your personal mission is often you know probably the most important piece mm-hmm. because you know it's like often the the purpose of a relationship is to serve as a, a panacea for my just never-ending loneliness mm. right so how that's probably why most partnerships people find themselves in you know yeah. there's a lot of suffering and then it doesn't actually serve because we're just using it as a vehicle to combat loneliness mm-hmm. um, and for me you know I'm I'm in a position now where choosing my partner was about will this partnership be in service of my personal mission and by the mm-hmm. way my personal mission is not a professional mission and so my personal mission on earth is to achieve real inner peace mm-hmm it's to be really at peace. So I would argue that's another question you should be asking your partner in the beginning. For sure. I mean, there's lots of questions yeah. you should be asking your partner in the beginning that we don't. But, you know, what's your personal mission? It's, it's interesting and it has to be, you know, what, what is it that you want to achieve as an individual for yourself? Yeah. What level do you want to achieve on this, like, you know, spiritually, emotionally? Right. And, like, how is this partnership going to facilitate that growth? You know? Um, and I think that that that's that to me is why I personally choose to mm-hmm. be in partnership because mm-hmm. it just serves in all the ways in that respect. I like that a lot. Yeah. And how could you tell if someone's not ready? Not ready for? Just not ready for a, a relationship that or like, you know, someone 
like in this part I'll take out, but like someone like me, for example, when I dated the guy who broke up with me on my birthday, like I was ready for that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but I wasn't ready for something more. Yeah. Well, I just don't think, I think everybody's ready for what they've got. Mm. I think it's there. It's, you know, partnerships, relationships, romantic explorations of all kinds, casual sex, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. they're all mirrors Mm. and they're just showing you where you are and who you are. Sometimes that might be very frightening. Mm. Oftentimes it is, but it's what you need to see. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're calling in people in our lives that we feel maybe sociopathic, we have to ask ourselves, why am I calling people like this into my life? Right. Why am I choosing to be in an exclusive relationship with a person like this? Mm-hmm. What's going on inside of me that right. that's what I'm choosing for myself? And that's often a challenging question to ask because it, you know, what emerges is some nasty stuff that we got to look at, but it's so empowering when we can really look at it. Mm-hmm. You know? My partnership today facilitates me being okay with the drilling. <sighs> yeah. And that's what I want. Yeah. You know? Because, mm-hmm. listen, there are so many partnerships. There are so many people. And there's so many relationships. It's not even romantic. Mm-hmm. That will reinforce the fact that that drilling is not okay. I mean, this is why happy hour was invented. Happy hour was invented for groups of people to sit in a circle and have a beer and talk about how much they hate their jobs. And so everybody sits there and goes, I hate my job. You hate your job. We all hate our job. Okay, mm. so hating your job is a normal thing. Right. Let's all validate that truth. And right. then let's go home and let's wake up early tomorrow morning and do that. Right. right. And so it's like, who do you want to be in your life? What do you want them to validate? Right. What do you want them to reinforce? Right. What do you want and them by to the way, unearth inside um, of you? My partner... Um, is okay with the drilling but I'm not Mm -hmm. and that's okay with me do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean sure yeah sure well that's it you know it's interesting when I think about choosing a partner Mm -hmm. so my partner and I happen to be similar in a lot of respects but we also well go ahead what were you no I was gonna say you I think people either choose someone that's similar to them Mm -hmm. or choose someone that's different well people have different needs this is the thing we we we, we tend to be very similar in some ways Mm -hmm. and very very different in others but the point is that there was a time where um a friend of ours, I don't remember, we were both using a saying and a friend of mine said, oh my God, the two of you sound exactly the same now. I don't even know who is who and what is what. Mm. And I said, I hope to be just like her. Mm. I hope to be just like her. I look up to her. Mm -hmm. Because this is the thing. Mm. We ultimately become the people that we spend our time with. We end up taking on their like dietary restrictions. We end up using their expressions. We end up becoming friends with their friends. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ask yourself in some sense when you're meeting a human for the Mm -hmm. first time, you're on your first date. This is one of the most important questions. Do I want to be like this person? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, then I should not pursue this because ultimately I will become them. You're just like, I'm learning so much from this conversation, (laughs) seriously. Um, Do you think that you can kind of like escape from that? Like if you're with someone that you then realize you don't want to be like, do you think you can rub it out of you, you know? Or you just still will always have that part of that person? I think that we're never the same. Mm -hmm. I think that we can always evolve. We can always change. And, you know, that's just a conscious decision. It's a point to, you know, it's like a relationship is an ongoing conversation. Mm. And that, you know, includes the relationship you have with yourself. 
Right. Is this who I want to be? Is this where I want to be? Is this how I want to behave? Yeah. Is this how I want to respond? Yeah. No? Okay, I, I choose yeah. different. I choose different. Right. You know? Yeah. So, but but yeah, and you, you they may be a person that you want to be just like in the beginning, and then all of a sudden you're you know a couple months or a couple years in, or right. you're a couple children in, and you oh. say, you know what? I really don't want to be anything like this person. Right. And you have permission to change your mind. Yeah. Um. I would argue everything about you. Like, you've selected people in your life, mm -hmm. but those people have selected everything else. Literally. Those people tell you these jeans are cool, and so you buy them. You think these headphones are cool. You think living down here is cool. I know these headphones aren't cool. So there you go. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, what I'm saying yes, is, it's no, the community absolutely. of people that absolutely. validate these things, that you believe their truths, and then absolutely. you adopt them, mm. right? That's it. We're seeing a whole movement now with alcohol, mm. where people are like, drinking's not cool. Yeah. Alcohol is not cool. Yeah. Alcohol didn't do anything. It didn't change. It's been right. the same forever. Right. All of a sudden, there's a new crew of people that are like, drinking's not cool. Yeah. And then people are like, I don't drink. Drinking's not cool. Guess what? How long does it take? Six months? Does it take a year until I don't drink becomes part of my identity? It becomes a thing now that people know. I don't drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. She doesn't drink. She doesn't drink. She's sober. She doesn't drink. It becomes part of your identity, right? It's just a thing that we end up absorbing these things culturally. And the romantic relationship, the person that you spend all this time with, that you get super vulnerable with, like, yeah, they influence you in all the ways you don't even realize it. Yeah. We were talking about drinking and how it's now becoming cool to not drink. If you don't mind me asking, do you drink? No. Mm -hmm. And how long have you not drank for? My whole life. Mm-hmm. And that is a personal choice, or it's an addiction situation? I don't know how to say that in a nicer way. Well, it's funny. Um, you know, whenever I tell people yeah. historically that I don't drink, they often ask me if I've had an addiction, and mm -hmm. that's maybe why I don't drink. Mm -hmm. And I find it rather amusing, because it's right. kind of the only thing I can think of, that when you tell people you don't engage with it, they assume that possibly at one point in your life, you were so badly addicted to it right. that you had to go through treatment and now you're okay. Meaning right. that if you were to say to me, do you want to have Indian food for lunch? And I said, no, I don't really enjoy Indian food. Right. And you say, oh, there must have been a time right, in your life right, right. where you were so hopelessly addicted to Indian of food course. that it's possible of you were su suicidal. But, right? but yes, but that's not our, anyone's fault right. um, because that's... Well, it's a cultural what, thing. Yeah, that's what sure. we've learned. Like, um, so the answer, though, is no. I didn't it, have any this problems is what, with it. So what I'm not I, attracted to alcohol. Okay. What I would assume um, from what I've like been conditioned and learned is that you it was religious, mm -hmm. it was a personal choice, mm -hmm. or it was an addiction. Thing. I'm just not yeah. really drawn to it. I don't yeah. actively not choose alcohol. The same way I didn't actively right. not choose to buy cotton candy on my way over here. Mm. Like Even though it's so present mm. it just never really resonated with me and continues right. not to resonate with me and i think that it's interesting watching vibrationally a culture shift away from alcohol mm -hmm. i think that they're actually that's a broader conversation where i'm i'm seeing uh now i'm seeing a uh, a leaning in on what you know is now popular being popularly called the ceremony mm. uh where there, there's a shift uh, in culture from from uh from from alcohol to plant medicine, but I think that... Well, um, yeah, I was going to ask, do you smoke weed? Or? I've never smoked anything in my mm -hmm. life. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Do you eat edibles? Like, do I've you, never done Have you edibles. ever been altered by anything? One time, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Have you shroomed or done acid? <laughs> so one time uh, with uh, a group of friends mm-hmm. um, in very controlled conditions, uh, we engaged in a sound ceremony in which um, I explored some things. Great. Um, and they had no impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and witnessed the people that I love and it was a really magical time Mm -hmm. and I think that is the only time I've ever explored anything and um, it reinforced for me that That you don't need that it's just I don't you know that my transcendence or my ability to connect with something Mm -hmm. in order to experience something perceivably supernatural Mm -hmm. uh, I can cultivate from within and my work has been continuing to strengthen that connection but I think the alcohol for me is a thing that I've just never understood and truthfully I'm very big into language right. and I think that you know this just it's just had a brand problem with me my whole mm-hmm. life like like if the language was like we're gonna get stoned we're gonna get wasted we're gonna get mm-hmm. fucked up like these are like terms the mafia uses like when they're killing people. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like it's just not like these are not things that I want to be. Like if you said to me this mm. weekend, do you want to get fucked up? I'd be like, no, I don't yeah. want to experience that. You know, it's just that I think the language even well, growing I, up I it just didn't speak to me. That Yeah, that I agree with. That's not, I wouldn't be turned on by drinking or, yeah. or getting fucked, getting fucked up. But what about just like having a glass of wine? So I had a partner for years that was uh, European and it was very early in our relationship where she asked me what my relationship to alcohol was. I said I didn't drink and she said, well, I'm European. I I like, I I drink wine Mm. pretty often. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And she really introduced me to wine in an incredibly academic way in which Mm. she like really taught me about wine and mm. like where it comes from and how each individual crew is made and all the different right. vineyards and all the different grapes and all the different you know consistencies and it was really a, an interesting journey but even then like when I would have a glass of wine I could maybe have one glass of wine and I was just like I can't hold alcohol very well yeah and I don't enjoy it I just don't crave it like I enjoyed the experience of learning about it that mm. was fun but like I don't I don't really interesting. but I think the most important thing though on this subject is that Everybody needs to choose their own medicine mm-hmm. and their own messenger, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that our medicines and our messengers, they evolve over time. Yeah. And like, you know, at some point your messenger may be, you know, ayahuasca. At some point your messenger sure. may be uh, soul cycle. Mm-hmm. At some point your messenger may be a life coach. It may mm-hmm. be touch point. It may be Eckhart Tolle. It may be Oprah. Maybe we met at Acme. It might be we met at Acme me see the podcast see the insta uh, right but yeah. i think that it's like never you know it's not to judge anybody else's process yeah. and what they choose mm-hmm. i think that like it's just for me that hasn't been my medicine it mm-hmm. hasn't been my messenger and uh you know i'm like in right now in the process of going through a 200 hour uh kundalini teacher training program awesome. um, are you familiar with kundalini yeah a little bit but for our people y- yeah kundalini yoga is uh is an amazing practice. I mean, I like to say that it's like, you know, it's more meditation than it is mm-hmm. like what I think you would traditionally consider yoga. And it's, to me, it's the practice of being okay. It's, mm. it's like how to expand your capacity to deal with discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do it through, you know, breathing and physical exercise. Sounds a little bit like dialectical behavioral therapy a little bit. I'm not familiar with that, mm-hmm. but that sounded really smart. Mm. 
<laughs> you would like it. It's like it's it's basically like um, not getting upset, but in a therapeutic way where you're talking, and you're talking to a therapist. They teach you a set of skills, like a toolbox. Cool. And like something bad happens, and you're like, oh wait, I yeah. need this tool. And amazing. And yeah. And so, but that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's like everybody has to choose their own medicine. Right. They have to choose their own exactly. messenger. And I think that the most important thing is that we don't judge anybody else's. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, we don't judge anybody else's process. Yeah. So if people drink, you know, like the question is this, when people drink alcohol, I always say like, why? And mm-hmm. ultimately it's like, I have fun. But like, if you really drill down, a lot of people feel a little bit more socially open. Mm-hmm. People will say like, I got, you know, get a couple of drinks in me and then I can really dance and I can do these things. Mm-hmm. And my question is always, would you prefer to live in a world where you could go out and dance and you didn't need to drink a thing? Would you prefer to live in a world where you could be open and you could be comfortable in any social setting and you didn't need to drink a thing? Yeah. And I feel like the work is in getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I get there? Right. How can I just be me yeah. and have all the medicine come from within? Mm. And that's a process. And we don't, you know, where mm-hmm. it takes a long time, I think. It takes a lot of conscious work to get totally. there. And on that note, we'll, we usually end with like a quote or a phrase or anything that's been helpful to you in your dating path the love that you want is chasing you and you are not to be chasing it Mm. if you learn to stand still it will find you I love that that's beautiful Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. This was so much fun. So much fun. And if anyone wants to go to Touchpoint, I think there are still tickets available for March. Mm-hmm. And it's March 6th. March 6th. March 6th. Yeah. At, um, I think, 7 p.m. Yeah. So it'll be at, so the doors will open at 7.30. Mm-hmm. Um, we will begin at 8. Mm. Um, and anybody who wants more information on Touchpoint can go to lovetouchpoint.com or you can follow us on Instagram at lovetouchpoint. Yes. And, um, yeah, so do that. And if you if you do go to Touchpoint, I will be there at the one in March. So um, see you there. And I, knowing myself, I'll probably try to share. Oh, thank um, God. <laughs> why? Do people not? I feel like everyone's raising their hands. Um, I would say many people come... Many people come to listen. Uh, yeah, I think that okay. that um, you know, in our recent, you know, we just did this survey of mm. our community, mm-hmm. and I would say like of the people who have been to Touchpoint, mm-hmm. roughly twenty five percent of them have shared. Wow. So seventy five percent of people really just sit there. You know, it's yeah. it's really a safe space to listen. Yeah, you know? I like that. People showing up and just being in the room is a yeah. big deal. Right. You know? Right. Like, that's a big step for most people. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be present for a conversation right. about this. It's, like, huge. Huge. I agree. And follow We Met at Acme on Instagram. Write us a nice little review in the App Store. And um, we actually have a live podcast recording on March 1st, um, 7 p.m. at Theory on Green Street. So please come. Please watch and please share. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.